you. Um, go ahead and turn to, or on your phone, either one, go, go ahead and turn to Isaiah chapter 52, uh, verse 13. This part won't be up on the screen. We'll have the other um, scriptures up on the verse here in just a moment, but the opening passage will not be on the screen behind me. Um, but Isaiah chapter 52, uh, we, are, we are bringing this Advent series to a close. Um, we are uh, the last Sunday before, before Christmas is the last Sunday in Advent. And uh, we have been talking uh, the last few weeks, been talking about the promise, uh, the promises uh, that are recorded in the book or in the prophet, by the prophet Isaiah. And, and so we're going to look at one of those. Again, the last one that we're going to look at is in Isaiah chapter 52 and 53. Uh, today's, today's message is titled, The Promise of Complete Salvation. And, and I, I hope this will be a challenging word for you as I've kind of wrestled with this text um, you know, something really, uh, I believe, important that the Lord wants to speak to us about today. So Isaiah chapter 52, beginning in verse 13, see my servant, I'm reading from the New Living Translation, in case you're on your phone, you can switch to that translation. Uh, verse 13, see my servant will prosper, he will be highly exalted. But many were amazed when they saw him, his face was so disfigured, he seemed hardly human. And from his appearance, one would scarcely know he was a man. And he will startle many nations. Kings will stand speechless in his presence, for they will see that they had not been told. They will understand what they had not heard about. Who has believed our message? To whom has the Lord revealed his powerful arm? I want you to remember that phrase, his powerful arm. That is used a lot in Isaiah, and we'll talk a few moments about that this morning. My servant grew up, this is chapter 53, verse 2. My servant grew up in the Lord's presence like a tender green shoot, like a root in dry ground. There was nothing beautiful or majestic about his appearance, nothing to attract us to him. He was despised and rejected, a man of sorrows acquainted with deepest grief. We turned our backs on him and he looked the other way. He was despised and we did not care. Yet it was our weaknesses he carried. It was our sorrows that weighed him down. And we thought his troubles were a punishment from God, a punishment for his own sins. But he was pierced for our rebellion, crushed for our sins. He was beaten so we could be whole, and he was whipped so we could be healed. All of us, like sheep, have strayed away. We have left God's paths to follow our own. Yet the Lord laid on him the sins of us all. He was oppressed and treated harshly, yet he never said a word. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter. And as a sheep is silent before the shears, he did not open his mouth. Unjustly condemned, he was led away. No one cared that he died without descendants, that his life was cut short in midstream. But he was struck down for the rebellion of my people. He had done no wrong and had never deceived anyone. But he was buried like a criminal. He was put in a rich man's grave. But it was the Lord's good plan to crush him and cause him grief. Yet when his life is made an offering for sin, he will have many descendants. He will enjoy a long life and the Lord's good plan will prosper in his hands. Verse 11, when he sees all that is accomplished by his anguish, he will be satisfied. And because of his experience, my righteous servant will make it possible for many to be counted righteous for he will bear all their sins. Verse 12, I will give him the honors of a victorious soldier because he exposed himself to death. He was counted among the rebels. He bore the sins of many and interceded for the rebels. Would you pray with me one more time? God, I pray that as we approach your word this morning, your holy word, Lord, I pray that you would help us to recognize that your word is alive, it is powerful. Lord, these words that have been penned by Isaiah 700 years before the birth, of Jesus Christ speak about your coming. They speak about the, the promise of salvation that has been made available to all of humanity. It speaks about, Lord, your, um, your rest and your um, rejection and the crucifixion, even the resurrection of Jesus Christ are all promised and spoken about in this word. And so, Lord, I pray that you would help us to understand, help us to hear your word this morning. And Holy Spirit, help this word to change and transform our heart, how we think, how we live, how we interact with others. May it change us from the inside out. And Holy Spirit, I pray this morning that you would help me not to speak a single word of my own, 
Lord, help me to step out of the way. Help me to decrease so that you, God, would increase and be the focus of our attention this morning. And God, I pray that you would help me to speak with boldness, with clarity, and with simplicity your word today. And as we hear it, may we leave this place better reflecting the image of your son, Jesus Christ. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You may be seated. We are now uh, in the final message uh, of this Advent series. Uh, we spent the last, uh, last three weeks um, really tracing some of the prophetic promises that are recorded uh, in the book of Isaiah. I would encourage you uh, on your own time at some point, go through and just read, uh, read the book of Isaiah and you will see um, all throughout Isaiah, you will see uh, prophecies that are written or recorded that speak about the coming of Jesus the Messiah. And I said this every week, but I want you to understand, I want you to grasp um, the beauty or the significance of what is recorded in Isaiah um, because Isaiah is writing 700 years before Jesus Christ is even born. Um, how many of you know what you're going to do in two weeks? <laughs> All right. I, I want you to understand the significance of what Isaiah is writing um, as the Holy Spirit reveals to him these words. He's pinning these words in, in, in Isaiah and he's writing words 700 years before Jesus Christ is even born and all of the promises that are mentioned, that are recorded, that are written down in Isaiah, all of them uh, in Jesus Christ become true. All of them are fulfilled in the person of Jesus Christ. So we've spent the last couple of weeks tracing a few of these prophetic promises that are recorded by Isaiah that speak of the coming of a Messiah. We talked about the promise of his presence. Um, we talked about Jesus that was born, what, what, what did they call him? Emmanuel, which means God with us. And, and we talked about that his presence is with us always through, through difficult times, through, through times of celebration. We have the promise of God's presence. We have the promise of Emmanuel, God with us. We talked about um, Jesus being our peace, our peace in the midst of the storm, our peace um, in our life. We talked about the promise last week of the perfect comforter. Um, and, and we talked about, um, in Isaiah chapter 40, we, we talked about how the comforter came to bring comfort and peace to those who were in exile. And the same one that brought comfort to them is the one that brings comfort to us in the person of Jesus. But today we're going to look at the final promise, which is the promise of complete salvation. Let me just kind of set the stage for you this morning for us to better understand what Isaiah is, is referring to here in Isaiah chapter 52 and 53. We, we need to once again kind of have the context in mind and understand how Isaiah is kind of compiled together so we can better understand and better apply the words that have been spoken of here in our text. Um, just as a frame of reference, the second half of Isaiah, so Isaiah is made up of 66 books or 66 chapters, um, which is very interesting because oftentimes Isaiah is referred to as the gospel of the Old Testament, um, which is very interesting because Isaiah has 66 chapters and we know that in the Bible there are what, 66 books. And even the breakdown is very similar. 39, the first 39 chapters of Isaiah um, deal uh, very with a very specific subject. And then chapters 40 through 66, the other 27 deal um, with kind of the, the gospel presentation as we will talk about this morning. So even the breakdown is very, very unique and very interesting, especially in relationship to the whole Bible, all 66 books. But the second half of Isaiah, chapters 40 through 66, focus specifically on how God is going to deal with the sin problem that has created a gap between imperfect humanity and a holy God. So when you read Isaiah 40 through 66, you're going to begin to see a, a change or a turn in direction because now the focus is going to be on how God is going to deal with the sin problem that has led to the rebellion and the rejection of God by Israel in the first place. Um, and, and we see in Isaiah, we see all throughout the Old Testament, God continues to pour out his grace upon God's people, but it's the sin problem that needs to be dealt with in order for God's people to be set free. 
And so the problem that exists is there is imperfect, sinful humanity over here, and there is a holy God over here, and there is this, this gap or this chasm in the middle that, that, uh, that keeps us, imperfect, sinful humanity, from, from drawing near and having a relationship with a holy God. So that's the problem, the gap, um, the, the valley um, that has no bridge across it. We're going to talk about that bridge. It does now, thankfully. Um, but that was the sin problem that had to be dealt with in order for us, imperfect humanity, to draw near to and have a relationship with a holy God. And so Isaiah chapters 40 through 66 will begin to deal with and address that sin problem, deal with that gap or that chasm. So what do we see in Isaiah 40 through 66? We see that the solution is actually rooted in the coming of the Lord, which is what Advent is all about. Advent simply speaks of the coming of Jesus, the coming of him in, in, in the form of a child that we celebrate around Christmas, but also we are anticipating his second coming, the Advent, when he will return and take us as his own. And so the solution to this sin problem we see in Isaiah 40 through 66 is rooted in the coming of the Lord. We see this, we read about it, we talked about it last week in Isaiah chapter 40, verse 10. Yes, the sovereign Lord is coming in power and he will rule with a powerful arm. We'll talk about that here in just a moment. See, he, he brings his reward with him as he comes. And so the solution to the sin problem is rooted in the promise of the coming of Jesus Christ, in the promise of his advent. We also see that there are references made in several places in Isaiah. To the, to the arm of the Lord or the powerful arm of the Lord, which speak of the incomparable power of God, which speaks of the incomparable power of God to bring salvation. Let me just point out a few of these to you because when it talks about in Isaiah, when Isaiah speaks of the arm of the Lord or the right arm of the Lord or, or the power, uh, the powerful arm of the Lord, he is talking about his power, his ability to bring salvation, uh, to bring freedom to God's people. Let me just point a few of these out to you. Isaiah chapter 51 verse 5 says, my mercy and justice are coming soon. My salvation is on the way. My strong arm will bring justice to the nations. All distant lands will look to me and wait in hope for my powerful arm. The powerful arm is the salvation of God that has been made possible through the person of Jesus Christ. We also see in Isaiah chapter 51, verse nine, wake up, wake up. Not you all, I'm reading the text here, all right? Hopefully you're awake. But wake up, wake up, O Lord. Clothe yourself with strength, flex your mighty right arm rouse yourself as in the days of old when you slew egypt the dragon of nile again so speaking of the salvation what what does god do when the people of god are in uh in bondage in egypt he brings them salvation he saves them from that bondage he rescues them out of of slavery and he brings them into the promised land and so that is the reference that's that made that is made here by isaiah rouse yourself as in the days of old when you slew egypt and the dragon and the dragon of the nile wake up wake up clothe yourself with strength flex your mighty right arm and then also in Isaiah 52 verses 9 and 10 just before the text that we read today Isaiah writes these words let the ruins of Jerusalem break into joyful song and again that's going to mean something to a group of people that is sitting in exile a group of people that, that has now been sitting in exile in Babylon for 70 years. And when they left, what, what were their last memories? Their last memories were, were, were the memories of Jerusalem being destroyed, the walls being torn down, the temple, the place where they worshiped being brought down to ruins. And so when Isaiah writes these words, let the ruins of Jerusalem break into joyful song for the Lord has comforted his people. He has redeemed, he has bought back Jerusalem. And the Lord has demonstrated his holy power before the eyes of all the nations and all the ends of the earth will see the victory of our God. So again, the Lord is demonstrating his holy power um, and he has redeemed Jerusalem. And, and so we see several places where it talks about the ability, the power of the God that we serve to rescue, to save a group of people that have been in slavery, slaves to sin ultimately. We also see Isaiah informs us that this alienation, this gap that exists between an imperfect humanity and holy God, that, that gap or that alienation, it's only temporary. 
We read about that in chapter 52, not up on the screen, but chapter 52, verses 1 through 3. It says, Wake up, wake up, O Zion, clothe yourself with strength, put on your beautiful clothes, O holy city of Jerusalem, for unclean and godless people will enter your gates no longer. Rise from the dust, O Jerusalem, sit in a place of honor, remove the chains of slavery from your neck, O captive daughter of Zion, for this is what the Lord says. When I sold you into exile, I received no payment. Now, the Lord says, now I can redeem you. Now I can buy you back, purchase you back without having to pay for you. And, and so we see even in Isaiah chapter 52, there is the promise that this alienation, this, this gap, this chasm that exists between imperfect humanity and a holy God, it's only temporary, which speaks of the fact that God has a plan to redeem us, to purchase us back, to, to set us free and to allow us to draw near to him. God has a plan to bring people who have been steeped. And again, this means something to a group of people who have been steeped in idolatry, a group of people who were prideful in their own ways, and a group of people who were consumed with spiritual adultery. God had a plan. God had a plan to bring these people back to him. He had a plan to bridge the chasm or the gap that existed between imperfect sinful humanity and a perfect and holy God. And that solution again comes in the person of Jesus Christ, this plan or way. And what's very interesting, when we think about um, a savior, when we think about somebody rescuing us from bondage, usually we don't think of the picture that we just read in our opening text in Isaiah 52 and 53, someone that's despised and rejected. Somebody that, that, that is um, led like sheep that have been led to be slaughtered. That's not the picture that we oftentimes, if I say to you, if you're in bondage and I say to you, someone's going to rescue you, someone's going to set you free, someone's going to come in and, and, and give you freedom, that's not usually the picture that comes to mind. Oftentimes, I think we think of the, the conquering hero or the smashing warrior that's going to come in and set us free. That's when you fast forward all the way to the New Testament, um, and, and we'll talk about this next year when we get close to Easter on Palm Sunday, um, a week before Jesus's um, death, um, crucifixion, and resurrection. Um, on Palm Sunday, you have a group of people, and, and, and let me just kind of give you the context. You have all of these Jews who are in, in really a bondage to the Roman people, and, and they want to be set free from the oppression of Rome. And so their idea of someone that's going to come in and rescue them, that's going to give them freedom from, from Roman oppression and injustice, their concept of a savior or a rescuer is someone that's riding in on a white horse that's going to be their conquering hero and their smashing warrior. And so when Jesus comes riding into Jerusalem in a very humble um, humble manner or, a, or on a donkey, um, that really blows the mindset or the understanding of these people. They were looking for a warrior, somebody that's going to come in and slay their enemy, but instead Jesus comes in a humble manner. And what does he do? He goes to the cross. He dies a criminal's death, and yet he brings salvation, salvation that they did not fully and completely understand. So this plan or way was not through the stereotypical conquering hero or a smashing warrior, but instead salvation came through the obedience of a suffering servant. We read in Isaiah 53, in our opening text, these words, when he, the servant, and when you see servant, uh, I think in some of your translations, servant is actually capitalized in many places. Um, and when it is capitalized, it is actually referring to uh, the person of Jesus Christ. So when he, the servant, the, the suffering servant, sees all that is accomplished by his anguish, he will be satisfied. And because of his experience, talking about the experience of Jesus, my righteous servant will make it possible for many to be counted righteous for he will bear all their sins. I will give him the honors of a victorious soldier because he has exposed himself to death. He was counted among the rebels. He bore the sins of many and interceded for the rebels. So complete salvation, what, what is, when we talk about the promise of complete salvation, what are we talking about this morning? Let me just kind of give you this definition and I want to share three things with you real briefly. Complete salvation is this, a restored relationship with God, freedom from sin, 
access to our heavenly father and spiritual healing and wholeness. When I talk about complete salvation, I'm not just talking about your conversion experience. I'm not just talking about what happened on a specific date uh, in a specific location. I'm not just talking about that moment. That's a part of complete salvation, but that's just a small part. I'm talking about the restoration of a relationship that, that now an imperfect human being can now have access and now have relationship with a holy, imperfect God. I'm talking about a bridge that now exists between this gap, this chasm that will allow me to draw near to God and a holy God to draw near to me. I'm talking about spiritual wholeness and healing. I'm not just talking about physical healing on earth. And yes, God breaks in. There are moments where he will break in and he will do healings, miraculous healings, and he does that. We should pray for that. But there is a much greater healing that's going to take place when we see him face to face. When we are caught up into heaven, when we meet him, there is a healing that will take, a pl- take place that is like none other. So when I talk about complete salvation, the promise of complete salvation, what we read about in Isaiah 52 and 53 is talking about a restored relationship, talks about access that we now have to the Father, talks about a spiritual wholeness that we will encounter, and also talks about a relationship that that we will have when we see him face to face. And this was possible for those in exile, and is also possible for all of us today. And it's possible, why? Because of the birth of a son, no ordinary son, rather the son of God, Jesus Christ, who is with us, Emmanuel, and who also died for us. So complete salvation is possible because of the birth of a son. That's why we gather on Sunday mornings. That's why we gather for Advent to celebrate the coming of Jesus Christ. And because of his coming, because of that little baby that was born in a major, because there was no room for him in the inn, because of that birth, because of that son, you, me, and all of humanity, We can have a restored relationship with God. We no longer have to look at a distance and and try to figure out how I can get across this gap. Jesus Christ is the bridge that now allows us to walk over here and have relationship with a holy, perfect God. So when I talk about complete salvation, that promise this morning, I'm talking about that restored relationship, that access, that spiritual wholeness and healing that has been made available to us. So from the words penned by the prophet Isaiah, we can begin to grasp the fullness of the promise of complete salvation. I wanna talk about that promise this morning. Just three things I wanna share with you today. Number one, I wanna talk first of all why the promise of complete salvation is even vital. Why is it important uh, for us to even talk about this promise in the first place? I wanna share a few things. First of all, and I've already made reference to this sin, Sin separates us from God. If you go all the way back to Genesis chapter 3 in the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve, uh, they were given um, the garden to care for, to live in. Uh, God said to Adam and Eve, you can have whatever you want in this garden. It is yours. You can eat from every tree but one. But one tree you cannot take from. That tree is off limits. And so there were parameters that were set up for Adam and Eve. They had a relationship with God. They were walking in in perfect fellowship with him. But when Adam and Eve took of the fruit from the tree that God said, don't eat from, sin entered the equation. And in that moment, that moment when sin entered that equation, that perfect fellowship and communion that Adam and Eve had with God in the garden was no more. And we see that, we know that, because if you read in Genesis chapter 3, what happens to Adam and Eve? They're kicked out of the garden. They're not allowed inside the garden where they had that perfect communion and fellowship with God. So sin, sin entered the equation, and therefore sin separates us from God. And that's where that chasm, that gap comes into play. We also know that Israel's sin cut them off from a relationship with God. We read in Isaiah 59, verse 1 and 2, listen. The Lord's arm is not too weak to save you, nor is his ear too deaf to hear you call. It's your sins that cut you off from God. Because of your sins, he has turned away and will not listen anymore. Sin created a chasm. It created a gap that kept us from fellowship with God. That's the bad news, okay? I'm giving you the bad news first this morning. 
We also know that the Old Testament law, so, so after sin entered the equation, we know that then the Old Testament law eventually was instituted. You read Exodus and Leviticus um, and, and even into Numbers and Deuteronomy, there was a law that was given to, to help an imperfect, sinful humanity try to have some type of relationship with God. But as you read through the Old Testament, we know that the Old Testament law and all of the sacrifices could not permanently deal with with our sins. We read about it in Hebrews chapter 10, verses one and four. The old system under the law of Moses was only a shadow, a dim preview of the good things to come, not the good things themselves. The sacrifices under that system were repeated again and again, year after year, but they were never able to provide perfect cleansing for those who came to worship. If they could have provided perfect cleansing, the sacrifices would have stopped for the worshipers would have been purified once for all time and their feelings of guilt would have disappeared. Um, Verse number three, um, I believe there's another verse up on the screen. Uh, Verse number three, but instead those sacrifices actually reminded them of their sins year after year for it is not possible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sin. So so there there were sacrifices that were available. They could bring a bull, they could bring a lamb, they could bring a goat and they could offer that sacrifices but they could never fully completely deal with the sins of God's people. Every time they sinned again, they had to offer another animal. Every year at the, um, uh, the, the annual celebration at the Passover, they would come and they would offer another, another animal or another sacrifice. And so those animals were insufficient in dealing with the sin problem. It, it, it might have reminded them um, of their need of somebody to deal with that sin, but it did not actually deal permanently with their sins. Sacrifices had to be offered continuously. Animal sacrifice could not take away the sins of the world. Only Jesus, who was the perfect sacrifice. You read about it in Hebrews. And it says that he was the once and for all sacrifice, meaning that Jesus did not have to offer himself up on the cross every single time you or me or anybody else sinned. He was the once and for all sacrifice that that dealt with the sin problem, that chasm that kept us from a relationship with God. We know in the Old Testament that priests, they would minister before the altar daily, but again, they, they did not have any eternal effect when they would come and they would deal with the sins of God's people. People, had limited access to God. Uh, Once a year, only once a year, was the priest, the high priest, allowed to enter into the most holy place. That's the place where the Ark of the Covenant, which represented God's presence, dwelt. And only once a year could the high priest go behind the curtain, behind the veil, and enter into that most holy place to offer sacrifices for the sins of people. So access, access to God was limited because of the sin problem, because of the chasm that existed between imperfect humanity and a holy God. The only thing that could bridge that gap was the person of Jesus Christ. Eternal life and fellowship with God, those things were out of reach for God's people. The Old Testament law and sacrifices maybe made a dent and and began to lead to what, what it would one day look like but eternal life and fellowship with God, they were out of reach. All of God's people, all of humanity. Paul says this in Romans 3, 23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. I've used this analogy before, but if the, the perfect requirement of the law, and I just want, I want you to kind of understand, I wanna, want you to understand this picture um, because my goodness, um, how much money I give, how many times I attend church, none of that is going to give me um, complete salvation or access to God. If, if, if the perfect requirement of the law, which it is, the perfect requirement of the law uh, or the requirement of the law is perfection. How many of you in this room are perfect? All right, if any of you raise your hand, we'll have a conversation afterwards because obviously you're not because you just lied. All right, so, so the reality is the requirement of the law is, is perfection, and there is not a single human being on this earth now or ever that is perfect. And so if that's the case, then that's, that's pretty discouraging for us because if, if the requirement of the law says, God says, I desire and demand perfection, all of us, as Paul says, we all fall short of the glory of God. 
And let me just kind of, let me kind of say it this way. So to help maybe us understand this, if, if the requirement of the law said I had to be 10 feet tall um, to enter into heaven and to have a relationship with God, guess what? I fall short. <laughs> I'm not 10 feet tall. Um, now, some of us are a little bit closer, right? Some of you are taller than me and are a little bit closer. Some of you, I'm sorry to say, are shorter than me and are a little bit further away. But the beautiful thing about Jesus Christ, and when I talk about this sin problem, so if we are gonna get to a holy God, but it requires perfection, and that perfection is for us to be 10 feet tall, the beautiful thing about Jesus Christ is he lived a perfect, sinless life here on earth. He is 10 feet tall, and when we accept, so if if Jesus Christ, here, Frank, can you come here for a minute? Um, How sturdy are these chairs? (laughs) All right, I want you to stand on this chair, because I'm not 10 feet tall. Stand there, don't break it. Um, okay, so Frank for a minute is going to be Jesus, all right? All right, so if, if I, I'm obviously, I'm, I'm not 10 feet tall. I'm not saying that he's 10 feet now standing on that chair. We're going to pretend that he's 10 feet tall now, okay? But if that's the perfect, if that is the requirement of the law, perfection, 10 feet tall, all of us fall short. But if Frank, who's representing Jesus Christ here, he meets the requirement of the law, perfect, sinless life here on earth, did not sin. He was tempted like you and me so he could understand when we are tempted what we're going through. But when we place our faith and trust, when I step into Jesus Christ, I'm not 10 feet tall, but when I step into Jesus, when I place my faith and trust in Jesus Christ, who does God see? God sees Jesus who is 10 feet tall, who is perfect and and who meets the requirement of the law. And when I step in Jesus Christ, I now have a relation. I now have access to God because Jesus Christ met the requirement of the law. You can get down now. Thank you. Um, so I want you to understand, I want you to hear eternal life and fellowship with God was not possible. Um, and, and the Old Testament sacrifices, they tried to restore that relationship, but they were out of reach. But through the birth of a son, through the birth of Jesus Christ, when I place my faith in Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the perfect Son of God, and I accept him as my Lord and my Savior, and I step into him, God sees his son, Jesus, and now I can have access to him. That's why Jesus will say in John 14, 6, when the disciples are talking about, we don't know the way, he said, I'm gonna go prepare a place for you, and I'm gonna come back and receive you. And, and they say, well, we don't, we don't know. We're, how do we get there? What's, what's, how do we get to that place that you're talking about? And Jesus says, you know, and they say, no, I don't know. And, and so Jesus says, John 14, verse six, we know it. I, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me, the perfect Son of God, Jesus Christ. So this promise of complete salvation is vital because sin, sin separates you and me from having a restored relationship with God. We also know, want to talk about then how the promise of complete salvation was made possible. And I've already referred to this. It's made possible, first of all, through the love of our heavenly father. What does Jesus say in John three sixteen? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Whoever believeth in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. And so the promise of complete salvation that is referred to in Isaiah 52 and 53, that promise of complete salvation is possible because of the love of a heavenly father. John, 1 John chapter 4, verse 10, it says, this is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and gave his son as a sacrifice for our sins. It's also possible through the birth of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. His entrance into the world would make possible salvation from sins. You don't need to turn there, but you may want to jot these verses down. Matthew chapter 1, verse 20 and 21, speaking of the birth of Jesus. And as he considered this, speaking of Joseph, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. Joseph, son of David, the angel said, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child within her was conceived by the Holy Spirit. She will have a son, and you are to name him Jesus. Listen, for he will save people from their sins. Entrance into the world will make possible salvation from sins. Also in John chapter 1, verse 29, John the Baptist, when he sees Jesus coming, what does he say? He says, the next day John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This complete salvation is possible through the birth 
of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. His entrance into the world also brought peace. We read this uh, earlier on in Isaiah chapter 9, a couple weeks ago. For a child is born to us, a son is given to us, the government will rest on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And his government and its peace will never end. We also read about the promise of the coming of the Messiah in another prophet, the prophet Micah, the only prophet to actually prophesy about the birth location of Jesus Christ. Uh, Micah chapter 5, verses 2 through 5, speaks of one that is going to come out of Bethlehem, and he's speaking about the Christ child. We also know that it is that this promise of complete salvation is possible through the obedience of the suffering servant. In Isaiah chapter 53, we read about this, verse 4, we see that Jesus suffered not because of his own sins. Look at chapter 53, verse 4, if you have your Bibles open, it says, yet it was our weaknesses he carried, it was our sorrows that weighed him down, and we thought his troubles were a punishment from God, a punishment for his own sins. That's not true. He, Jesus suffered not because, sorry, not that the text isn't true. It's not what I'm referring to. The text, the word of God is true. Jesus suffered not because of any sin he committed, but he suffered on our behalf because of our sins. He was without sin. We also know in chapter 53, verse 5, that he was pierced. For our rebellion. Look at verse 5. He was pierced for our rebellion. We see also that he was crushed for our sins. And he was beaten so we could be made whole. And he was whipped so we could be healed. We also read in verse 6 that we are sheep that have gone astray. And he gets beaten. Jesus Christ, the, the suffering, obedient servant, he gets beaten because of our willfulness because of our um, willingness to stray away from what God has called us to. Jesus suffered, and this is key, Jesus suffered in our place. Uh, I think I've referenced this once before, but he, he was our substitute. When you hear the, the theological term, the substitutionary death of Jesus Christ, we're talking about the fact that Jesus took our place. He didn't deserve death. He was perfect and he was without sin. All of humanity deserved to die the death that Jesus Christ died, but instead he was our substitute. He took our place for us and took sin upon himself. That's why Paul can say in 2 Corinthians 5 verse 21, he who knew no sin, Jesus Christ, he became sin for us so that we, all of humanity, might become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus, amen? How many are thankful that he became sin so that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus? And then we read in verse 11, uh, 53, verse 11, when he sees all that is accomplished by his anguish, he will be satisfied. And because of his experience, my righteous servant will make it possible for many to be counted righteousness, for he will bear all their sins. That, that verse really is just an Old Testament version of what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5.21. My servant, Isaiah writes these words, um, Holy Spirit is inspiring, and my servant will make it possible, will make it possible for many to be counted righteous, for he, Jesus Christ, will bear all of their sins. The obedient, suffering servant has made possible your salvation, my salvation, and the salvation of all humanity. Finally, number three then, what are the benefits of receiving by faith the promise of complete salvation? Number one, we are made right with God. Paul writes these words in Romans chapter three, we are made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. And this is true for everyone who believes, no matter who we are. For everyone is sin. We all fall short of God's glorious standard. Yet God in his grace freely makes us right in his sight. He did this through Christ Jesus when he freed us from the penalty for our sins. For God presented Jesus as the sacrifice for sin. People are made right with God when they believe that Jesus Christ sacrificed his life, shedding his blood. One of the benefits of receiving by faith the promise of complete salvation is that we are then made right with God. When we accept that Jesus Christ is our sacrifice, that he paid for your sin, my sin, and the sins of all humanity, when we receive that by faith and Jesus comes to live inside of us, 
our relationship with God, which was distorted, which was chaotic, has now been rightfully restored. We also, number two, we are brought near to God. We are no longer alienated. That, that chasm, that gap that existed has been bridged through the person of Jesus Christ. Paul will write these words, in those days you were living apart from Christ. You were excluded from citizenship among the people of Israel and you did not know the covenant promises God had made to them. You lived in this world without God and without hope, but now you have been united with Christ Jesus once you were far away from God. But now you have been brought near to him through the blood of Jesus Christ. Once we were over here and, and we couldn't get to a holy God because there was a gap, a chasm that we were not able to get across. But through the blood of Jesus Christ, I am able to walk across and have relationship with God. I now have access to him. And that's why he, and the writer of Hebrews, Hebrews will say that we, we can come boldly into the throne room of God where we can ask and receive whatever we have in our time of need and he will give us the grace and the mercy that we need to help us in our time of need. So we have access to our Father in heaven through the person of Jesus Christ. We are given a new eternal home. One of the benefits of receiving that complete salvation is we are given a new eternal home. Our citizenship isn't here. Our citizenship is in heaven. That's why, again, in John 14, Jesus will say to his disciples, I am going to prepare a place for you. And I'm gonna come back, Jesus says, and I'm gonna receive you as my own. And, and so there is a new eternal home that is being prepared for you and for me and that is made possible through faith in Jesus Christ. We are also freed from the power of sin. Paul writes in Romans 8, verses one and two, so now there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus and because you belong to him, the power of the life-giving spirit. So when we accept Jesus Christ, the spirit comes to live inside of you and me. All of the Holy Spirit comes to live inside of us. And the power that, that the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead is the same spirit that lives inside of you and me. That life-giving spirit has freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. So because of Jesus Christ, we are free from the power, from the grip, from the bondage of sin upon our life. He's given us the spirit of God to live inside of us so that we can, we can have victory over sin. We can say no to temptation. We, we can walk in freedom, not in my, uh, not in the own, my, in my own flesh. There's, there's no way that I can have victory over the sin in my life if I try to do it on my own. Instead, I have to walk in the power of the Spirit, the Spirit of God that lives inside of me, the, the same Spirit that raised Christ uh, from the dead. I have to live by the power of that Spirit. And when I do, God will help me to have victory over the sin, over the struggles, over the difficulties in my life. And number five, we are called one of the benefits. And to me, this is, this is my favorite one. We are called to live the servant's life. Now that may not seem so appetizing when you read Isaiah chapter 53 and you see what the servant's life looked like. The servant was despised and rejected, ridiculed. Read the New Testament, see what happened to Jesus. It's talking about Jesus, talking about his, his arrest and, and, and his crucifixion, his death. Uh, he was spat upon. Um, he was made fun of crown of thorns placed upon his head. He was, he was mocked. Um, he was rejected. Yet one of the benefits, and it is a benefit, one of the benefits of receiving by faith the promise of complete salvation is that you, me, and all of humanity, we are called to live the servant's life. One of my favorite passages in scripture, Philippians chapter 2, um, really captures this. Um, I just want to read it to you. Just for a second, don't, don't turn there. Let me read it to you. Just, just close your eyes for a second, and I want you to hear these words um, that Paul writes to the church in Philippi. Beginning in verse one, is there any encouragement from belonging to Christ? Any comfort from his love? Any fellowship together in the spirit? Are your hearts tender and compassionate? Then make me truly happy by agreeing wholeheartedly with each other, loving one another, and working together with one mind and purpose. 
Don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble, thinking of others as better than yourselves. Don't look out only for your own interests, but take interest in others too. You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. Therefore, God elevated him to the place of highest honor, gave him the name above all other names, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue declare that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Dear friends, Paul says, you always followed my instructions when I was with you and now that I am away, it is even more important. Work hard to show the results of your salvation, obeying God with deep reverence and fear for God is working in you, giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases him Do everything without complaining and arguing so that no one can criticize you. Live clean, innocent lives as children of God, shining like bright lights in a world full of crooked and perverse people. Hold firmly to the word of life. Then on the day of Christ's return, I will be proud that I did not run the race in vain and that my work was not useless, but I will rejoice even if I lose my life, pouring it out like a liquid offering to God, just like your faithful servant is an offering to God. And I want all of you to share that joy. Yes, you should rejoice and I will share your joy. You can open your, open your eyes. All of us are called to live the servant's life. The servant, Jesus Christ, who came in the form of a human being, came as a slave, as a servant, and died the most cruel death that anyone in that time could ever die he died on a cross it was cross was meant for the most wicked brutal criminals yet christ went to the cross for you for me for all of humanity so that we could experience the beautiful benefits of complete salvation people don't live a life a servant's life a life of rejection in suffering if it produces incomplete results. You and I are not going to live the servant's life if, if it's not going to bring to us or bring to humanity complete salvation, restoration with God and access to the Father. Uh, the reality is if the good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ, if it weren't true, uh, we would not waste or spend our life or even give our life for something such as that. But one of the most beautiful reasons that I believe scripture is true. We see uh, in, in the, the early history of the church, we know that 11 of the 12 disciples, they died, they were martyred, confessing or professing the name of Jesus Christ. And one of them was um, exiled. John was exiled onto the island of Patmos. All the other ones gave their life for Christ. If you know anything about church history, the first two or three centuries First century, second century, third century was a brutal time for Christianity. Many people who confessed Christ as Lord, they were persecuted and many were killed because of their belief in the complete salvation that was offered by Jesus Christ. But they recognized that one of the benefits of that complete salvation, one of the benefits was they were called to live the servant's life, even if that meant rejection, even if that meant death. There's many missionaries today that, give their life for Christ, declaring the good news of Jesus because they believe in the complete salvation, because they believe we can be set free from sin, because they believe that when we place our faith in Jesus Christ, I now can have access to my Father in heaven and I now can be a citizen in heaven where I can dwell with him for eternity. There are missionaries who are willing to give their life for Christ because they know the results and the benefits are true and powerful. I wanna just share a story with you in closing. Some of you maybe have seen the movie, The End of the Spear, talks about uh, missionaries to Ecuador. Um, and, and let me just kind of capture this story for you, just to kind of show you, uh, these are some missionaries that, that embraced the promise of complete salvation, and they were willing to live the servant's life, even if it meant death. In 1956, Steve was five years old when his father, Nate, flew a Piper cruiser plane with 
four other missionaries into the jungles of Ecuador and dared to make contact with the most dangerous tribe known to man, the Wodanis, also known as the Aka or Naked Savage. After several months of exchanging gifts with the natives, the five men were speared multiple times and hacked to death with machetes. One of the men in the tribe that that fateful day was Minky. Years later, Steve found out that Minky actually delivered the final spear that ultimately killed his father. Three of the six warriors from that day are still alive. Today, they consider themselves family and harbor no resentment. Steve says he has never forgotten the pain and the heartache of losing his dad. But I can't imagine not loving Minky, a man who has adopted me as his own. And the other Wadoni, says Steve, who made his first trip to Wadoni territory when he was nine years old. By 1956, Steve's Aunt Rachel had been living in the jungle, but not with the Wadoni for several years. Rachel loved her younger brother, Steve's dad, like a son, but even after he was killed, she continued to live with the Wadoni under her de- un- until her death in 1994. Her affection for them was a major influence in Steve's life, and he visited her every summer. When he was 14, Steve and his sister Kathy decided to be baptized and chose a couple of Wadoni to perform the baptism in the same water next to the beach where their father was killed. After Rachel died, the tribe asked Steve to live with them. Steve and his family lived in the jungle for a year and a half. What the Wadoni meant for evil, God used for good, says Steve. Given the chance to rewrite the story, I would not be willing to change it. Many are confounded by the relationship Steve has with Minky. He says that, a us or says that a reporter commented that if he were in Steve's shoes, he could forgive, maybe, but love him, that's morbid. Steve says that their relationship doesn't make sense unless you put God in the equation. Even though his dad's death was painful, Steve says Minky would have not adopted him. He would not have been part of the mysterious uh, Stone Age Wadoni world. Also, thousands of people who were stirred by the missionaries' deaths would not have dedicated their lives to helping take the gospel to unreached groups like the Wadoni all over the world. They understood the promise of complete salvation. Those missionaries gave their life because they knew it would mean access for this tribe, this Wadoni tribe, to have access to their Father in heaven, for them to have relationship with their heavenly Father and the Son um, of one of those men that were killed, he understood the, the sacrifice that his father and that his father's friends had made. The promise of complete salvation has become a reality in the person of Jesus Christ and is now available for you and for us.